Hello, and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. Have you ever wondered what the role of emotions is in your prayer life or how you experience God's love toward you? In this episode, I interview Dr. Rick Mars, author of the book, Making Christian Counseling More Christ-Centered. And we talk about all that and more. This interview was so good that I couldn't stop asking questions. So I've broken it up into two episodes. But before we get started, please take a moment to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform and share us with a friend. We recently surpassed a milestone of over 1,000 downloads, and your reviews and shares help even more people discover our show. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome everybody to uh, the Signpost In podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have uh, Dr. Rick Mars with me. And Dr. Mars is a professor of practical theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. His areas of interest and expertise include pastoral care, counseling, Christian counseling, and Christian reconciliation. Um, In 2019, Dr. Mars published the book, Making Christian Counseling More Christ-Centered, which focuses on the relevance of Luther's soul care theology in Christian counseling. He continues and expands that discussion in a blog uh, series on concordiatheology.org. And he and seminary emeritus professor Dr. Robert Kolb have co-authored an article about Lutheran contributions to the theology of of Christian psychology, which uh, looks like it's going to be published in the fall of 2022. Um, Dr. Mars has also contributed to the new introduction to the reprint of Walter J. Kohler's book, Counseling and Confession, The Role of Confession and Absolution in Pastoral Counseling, and has authored many Bible studies and articles, um, including the Lesson Organizer Routine, which is a special education learning strategy trainer for the University of Kansas, which has sold more than 20,000 copies. Um, and uh, he's a friend of mine, and I'm lucky to call him that, I think. So, Rick, thank you for being on the Signpost in podcast. I'm really glad you're here today. Well, thank you very much, friend. And yes, I very much consider you a friend as well. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. So, Yeah, I, I you were the first person that popped into my mind. First of all, uh, after uh, I read your book, the Making Christian Counsel- or excuse me, Making Christian Counseling More Christ-Centered, that always is a tongue twister for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Partly because, one, I just am fascinated by the topic, but also because in my limited experience, and especially in the work that I'm doing now, I keep running up against the question of the role of emotions and their value or lack thereof in Christian spirituality. And so you were you were kind of one of the first people I was like, oh man, I need to talk to Rick about this and see what he <laughs> thinks. Um, and I guess to frame the discussion a little bit, and please, please change the terms of the discussion if these aren't the right terms. But the way I've kind of experienced it lately is that there's like the, for lack of a better term, the conservative side of Christianity, 
which seems to be afraid of emotion. They talk about emotion in in spirituality being dangerous. And in my like my philosophical background looks at them and says, well, they're rationalists. They kind of reduce mm-hmm. Christianity to like a tightly argued system, but don't seem to leave space for the personal God. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, you know, again, I'm not trying to paint people too broad of a brush. I, I don't think that that's the intention, but that's the impression I get. The other side seems to be um, almost unmoored from objective reality and is yeah. seeking after emotional experiences, which they will call spiritual experiences, and and will leave behind any kind of objective, rational truth in favor of experience of God, for, for lack of a better term. Like I have found myself coming from the first side by default being basically a rationalist who would have rather I would have rather not have a body, emotions, a heart. <laughs> I would have liked to just have been an intellectual yeah. mind abstracted. Yeah. And God brought me out of that and brought me back into, okay, there's a role for your heart. There's a role for your body in your spiritual practices. But that has frankly and honestly left me in a little bit of a confusion. How do I do that? How do I allow for that and not go off the deep end like my old <laughs> my old training would have t- – it's not even really my old training. My old way of thinking is afraid of. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of words. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> what does that make you think? And what – I guess to put, a, to put a question to it, like the question I want to ask you is, what is the role of emotions or the heart in Christian spirituality? Yeah, thank you. Well, again, it's it is complicated. Again, just so people kind of know me a personal level where I come from, and kind of like you, I, I probably started at a rationalist sort of way. If if anybody's ever taken the Myers Briggs type inventory. Uh, they know that there's a TF scale on it, thinking versus feeling scale. I score way high on that thinking scale, but I also tell students, and again, I get lots of seminary students that probably score high on that thinking scale. But my training, my graduate training 40 years ago, and now just thousands of hours of counseling and pastoral care have led me to realize that, wow, you have to think about other people's feelings. You have to try to empathize with what they are going through in order to have some sort of relational connection with them. And what I kind of challenge students with is um, who made your emotions? Who created your emotions? Who created your thinking? And we even say in Luther's small catechism, that he created our reason and all our senses. All those senses include emotions as well. And if you look in Scripture, the number of times that emotions are mentioned in Scripture and the whole range of them, anger, fear, sadness, uh, are all there in various types. It's thousands of times that uh, I think it's something like two times a page on average. There's some sort of emotion talked about. And if we realize that God is feeling some of those emotions. The Holy Spirit is grieved over our sins. 
God the Father was grieved, Yahweh was grieved when the world had fallen into so much sin that he thought, I need to uh, destroy it by a flood. Uh, if God can be grieved and he's up there perfect, what makes us think that we aren't going to feel grief, we aren't going to feel anger, sadness, and happiness and joy? as well as guilt and shame. I mean, there's just a whole gamut of different emotions that he has built into us. Kurt Thompson, in his book, Anatomy of the Soul, he's a Christian psychiatrist who is looking at uh, interpersonal neurobiology, which has been a big, big deal for the last 25 years or so. Dan Siegel was the psychologist that started developing that. And uh, Kurt Thompson has kind of taken it in a very positive Christian direction and just points out that, you know, God made us for relationships. And if all we were were these thinking, unemotional beings, we wouldn't really have relationships. We have relationships with each other through our emotions and through sharing those emotions with, with other people, be they positive emotions or struggling negative type emotions, uh, emotions that we wish we didn't have at times. But we share those with each other. We carry each other's burdens, uh, Galatians 6.2, um, and so fulfill the, the law of Christ. And we know that Christ took all of those burdens into himself to the cross. And, you know, Isaiah 53 blending in then to uh, the New Testament and what Christ has done for us. Christ was not a stoic figure himself. And we don't, we don't hear a lot about his emotions, uh, don't read a lot about his emotions. You know, he wept over Lazarus. Uh, what was he weeping about? Was he weeping because of Lazarus's particular death or because of death in general or because he knew that his own crucifixion and death were coming? He was probably weeping over all of those things. But uh, he also cares and comforts and loves, and we hear that over and over again. Okay, so here's the question then for me, because you said a lot of things that struck me. One of the big ones is that God feels emotions. And I know there's like lots of theological argument about how that all works and what that all means. But I think for like today, just just to let that rest for a minute and for me to accept that that's the way God, whatever's going on inside of God's, you know, behind the veil of glory, I don't know, but I know that he describes himself as that way and that, that, I, that he, okay, so here's the question. The question for me is, how do I experience or can I experience God's current emotion? in my relationship with him. Does that make sense? Like for me, the, and I, I don't know how else to ask, ask it other than for me, the, one of the struggles I had was, yeah, I knew Jesus was emotional. I knew we could talk about God having emotions, but like the thing that matters to me is that relational part right now, like that I can actually share with God some emotion, that it's not just talking about something in the past, but that there's some sort of personal current. One way to ask it is like, can I experience God's presence? <laughs> can I experience his emotion? Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. And it is one of those, we can't get behind the curtain. We can't see more or feel more of God than what he's revealed to us. But he's revealed to us, First John, that God is love. He has revealed to us that John 3 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In fact, that's one of the, the counseling techniques I talk about in my 
in my book is if somebody doesn't feel like that love actually applies to them, say, well, why don't we try it this way? Why don't we put your name into it? For God so loved Brandon that he gave his only begotten son for Brandon. Brandon believes in Jesus. Brandon will have everlasting life. So that sort of thing, when we're not feeling as connected or not feeling like God is is uh, feeling something for us, a little thing like that, which a lot of people have told me, yeah, that helps because when we just hear for God so loved the world, it makes it sound like, you know, it's too global, it's too generic. But when I hear it say, for God so loved Rick, oh, and that's what a lot of people don't hear enough of in their Sunday sermons, be it in the Lutheran church or outside the Lutheran church. Um, we just don't get the gospel applied to us well enough. We need to hear it, eat it regularly. And when I say eat it in a sacrament, but uh, also just applying that God's word is is like food for us and too many people eat three meals a day for their physical bodies, but they don't eat more than one meal a week or one meal a month for their spiritual lives. They're starving themselves from the gospel too often, and that, yeah, that's unhealthy. So here's a question or a statement that I've heard from several people, actually. It, it's it, it, the Basically, it's, I know I should believe that Jesus loves me, and I'm pointing at my head, you know, I know I should believe that Jesus loves me or that God loves me, but I don't feel like he does. And I think that's kind of what I hear you getting at is that, yeah, what what would be your advice to somebody who is in that space? Um, I believe with all my head that God loves me, but that doesn't change much for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To find a pastor that they think wants to apply the gospel to them competently and meet with him at least personally two, three, four, five times a year. If they think that they've got some underlying past family issues or trauma issues, I mean, that's a lot of what some people have been traumatized by something that's happened to them in life. And it's just hard to believe, why did God let that trauma happen to me? If he really loved me, why? And that's what the theology of the cross, Luther developed so wondrously for us. Um, when we realize that he is there for us in the suffering, that he actually took that suffering to the cross, we want to turn it into a theology of glory and that we're somehow going to overcome all this suffering in our lifetime. And Luther's going, no, sorry about that. We're not going to overcome the suffering. We're going to live a life of suffering. Uh, and even psychiatrists and psychologists, some competent ones have been saying this for years. Uh, when I was a young man, uh, M. Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, was coming, was becoming the most popular kind of book among Christians and among non-Christians from a psychiatrist lay sort of perspective. And he starts that book with these three words, life is difficult. And his point is, when we don't realize that life is difficult and becomes difficult, then it feels overwhelming. But if we start with the idea that life is difficult and expect it to be difficult, we will continue to sort of problem solve through our life. Well, he was in a secular way. Uh, he was becoming a Christian as he was writing that book historically. Uh, and Scott Peck died, in the, I think, in the 1990s. But uh, he was in a secular way talking something similar to what Luther's saying in the Theology of the Cross. We are going to suffer, but as we live lives of hope and faith in Christ, 
patiently enduring the cross crosses that we come under people will other people will go wow you've gone through a lot why do you still you know seem at peace well it's not because i am an inner peaceful person it's because christ keeps filling me up with his love with his gospel with his promises of returning um and again, I'll throw in a couple other things and then give it to, back to you. We also don't teach our people well enough how to use the complaint and lament psalms. I just spoke at a, a Baptist Christian psychology conference uh, a couple of months ago, and they actually had three Lutherans uh, speaking to the conference. It was wonderful to, to have some input there, but we Lutherans don't use the, the complaint psalms well enough either. In fact, they didn't even show up. There were no complaint psalms in the LW, in the Lutheran worship hymnal that we used from the mid-1980s until 2006. They, they weren't in there. But there's this whole body of, I think it's 60 out of 150 hymns that are all complaint and lament psalms. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 13. If we could teach our people that it's actually good, right, and healthy to use those complaint psalms and complain back to God for the struggles and the emotional suffering that we're going through, nearly all of those 60 psalms start with a great complaint, and then they end in, but I know that you are my Lord. I know that you do love me and care for me. And we know that even better now than the psalmist did, because we know more directly who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross. So, so yeah, sorry, I went off in a bunch of directions there. So no, I not at all. I think especially that idea of complaining, <laughs> the complaint psalms like that in my own personal growth in my relationship with God, without realizing it in some sense, the 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 complaint psalms became a point where I was able to connect personally with God, you know, in in family trauma and stuff. Just <laughs> it was like that was the trauma was that we went through is one of the things that brought me back to reading the psalms daily. Just like and that's like. I spent a year just like, that's it. All I'm going to do is read a psalm every morning because I can't do anything else. And I came up, came to those psalms and some of them became stuck for me for like a week or two at a time, some of those complaint psalms. And I think in some ways that's where I, and I've since heard from other people a similar thing where the psalms stopped being like research tools, like what can I learn from this today to being an actual conversation with God where I was like, all right, Lord, yep. Whoever wrote this psalm has the thing to say that I want to say. <laughs> and it was really powerful. Thanks for joining us on The Back Porch today. We're going to pause the interview right there and pick up the rest of it in our next episode. So make sure you subscribe and don't miss out. In the meantime, may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. And thanks also to our many wonderful donors who help us keep this podcast going. Signpost In is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we can't do what we do without your generous support. Visit us at signpostin.org and consider supporting us with your monthly donation. Thank you very much.